0: Thank you.
1: I just want to welcome you all this morning. Uh, Beautiful day and we're going to have a great time of worship and we're going to hear a great message and then we're going to do some uh, social media stuff after that. (laughs) Anyway, I, I just want to take a couple minutes this morning. We talk about missions. Missions is a very important part of this church and we spend a lot of time talking about foreign missions. We have missionaries come and so forth like that. But one thing I wanted to point out, and Mark did a little bit last week also, is, is we don't need to forget the local missionaries that we support because our task is everywhere. Uh, we talk a lot about the foreign missions because it's such a different culture when you go to those places and it gives you a different look outlook on Christianity. But we need to remember that here in this town and around the state and the country, there's a lot of people that are doing mission work, and we support several local missions here and while there may not be physical persecution in these missionaries' fields where they are here in the U.S., there's still a lot of issues with, with, that they have. They need prayer. They go through stress of raising funds. They do every bit of that. So, as y'all know, we have we're updating a lot of these flyers that are out there on the table, and we'll start putting them on the screen here in another couple of weeks. But I just want to mention some of these um, so these missions that we support here in town. And I really want y'all to pray about being involved with them. I know a lot of times we think, I heard somebody mention, you know, we, uh, last week or sometime that we have a lot of weaknesses. That we, can't, we think we can't do things. But quite frankly, we all have the Holy Spirit living within us and he can p- empower us to do anything. And so we just need to be willing to get involved. So I'm just going to mention some of these. One is the Christian Information Center. And Sharon Crook is actually on the executive board. She's a member of this church. Where, where's Sharon? There she is over there. Now we'll have a phone number on some of these and we're in the process of getting others. but you see Sharon, pray about getting involved and, and visiting with her about how you can get involved because I know they need volunteers, right? Yep. Uh, Lufkin Dream Center. Uh, Matthew Culberson's here somewhere or he might be on security. That's a great opportunity for you. You can talk to Matthew about it. We started supporting Godtail this year. That's uh, Martin Baker. They're always needing volunteers. You can contact Martin and talk to him. Les Spellings is sitting right here, right? Raise your hand. Okay, Les does the Angelina County Jail Ministry. There's a great opportunity for you to get involved. You know, there's, and a lot of times you think, oh, you go into that jail and it's hard and it's tough and that door slams behind you or whatever. Okay, and you wonder if you're going to get out of this place. But these guys can work with you and it's really a pleasure to work in that ministry. So give him a call. Another one is the Mosaic Center, which Donna Bustler, I don't think they're here today. But we have several people that are on the board. Uh, Jim Haley, still, no, you're not on the board anymore. But there's other people in our church that are involved in it. Uh, Pregnancy Help Center, Paula Havard, I saw her. I know she's here. She's right over there. They're always looking for volunteers, right? Okay, so everybody, everybody, you know, just take an opportunity, you know, this week, pick up one of these flyers, pray about it. And I know there's a place for you in each of these ministries. And I, I just want to make sure we don't, we haven't forgotten the local missionaries, but we just need to continue to lift them up and pray for them. Because what they do is, a, is just great for our community and offers us a great opportunity to be involved. So anyway, thank you. And Julie's going to make an announcement.
2: And I'm going to step up here. I'm just a little bit shorter. Just a little bit. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> um, I am here to, if the, for the ladies and inside the worship guide this morning is also another flyer, and it is about our spring gathering and it's coming up in just a couple of weeks. Um, we've planned an event that uh, last thing we had was a game night and that was a lot of fun, and um, now we are just going to have a kind of a party spring gathering. We're going to meet in the home of Rosalind Harris. And her home is not hard to find. It's directly down 94, and it's on Counts Road. But what we would encourage you to do is park here and carpool. (laughs) And, you know, just to limit the amount of cars that are at her home. But what I want you to do is, if you are interested, and I hope that you are, we really want to encourage you to come out so that you can fellowship with the the other ladies, get to know some new people, and just be able to be an encouragement to each other. Um, It's a great time to... Um, just kind of let your hair down, so to speak, and have some fun together as women. And that's what we want to encourage you to do. The, it says there is a light supper, which there is, and the ladies of the seeker class are going to be helping with that. We are grateful for that. And the only requirement is to bring a dessert and to sign up so we know how many to plan for. There is a sign-up sheet out in the welcome area. So I hope that you are able to do this and join us on May, I didn't talk about that, May 15th, <laughs> 4 o'clock.
3: Thank you, Julie. For those of you who don't know, Robert Grimes is our pastor of missions here. So if you have any questions about uh, serving, you can talk directly to him and he can redirect you. And Julie, my wife, is in, oversees the women's ministries. And uh, lots of stuff in your worship guide this week. Please take some time to review that. Uh, I won't take a lot of time now, but there's information on upcoming mission trips and fundraisers and fun events and activities. So please, please do that. I'd like to thank those of you uh, this week, who wrote me about uh, about apparently a, a phobia I have of snakes. I, I got lots of emails, and I want to thank you. I want to especially thank Rachel Bonin, who thought it would be funny to put a snake under my desk. Uh, it's dark under my desk, and a few hours after it was planted there, I, I mean, I'd been working and studying, praying for each and every one of you, and <laughs> there I was fasting in prayer, and Something didn't feel right, and I stepped down on it, and uh, I went right up through the ceiling. And some language required more prayer. <laughs> you once were a sweet child, and now you have the devil in you. <laughs> Paybacks are sweet. All right. Anyway, thank you, Rachel, for that. My heart has never been healthier. And for the rest of you who've been putting snake pictures of, of men who are afraid, I, I'd like to tell you that I've decided not to pray for you for three weeks. So you're on your own. <laughs> Love a church with a sense of humor. All right. Well, I'm going to ask our, our ushers to come forward at this time. I do want to highlight some things we're going to be doing today. Uh, in, a, in a little later, uh, we're going to have communion um, after our time in the Word together. Ch- Chad and his team are going to lead us in some worship. Uh, and then after that, during the 11 o'clock hour, we're going to ask you all to hang out in here because we're going to um, introduce you to a new app that we have. Um, One of the difficulties in this culture where we get, you know, I mean, people are traveling all over the place is staying connected. I mean, you got family all over the place, so you're not able to be here all the time. And technology lets us do that. And uh, we started out having an online presence beyond our website a few years back with what's called the city, and that was our in-house network, and that was about a 20 um, and over the, uh, over the last six months or so, we've been trying to figure out how to actively get our folks involved in such a, in a less cumbersome way. And uh, what it ended up with is we, uh, Jeff, uh, with a team of developers, came up with a Carpenter's Way app. And uh, many of you have downloaded that app, and uh, it is, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, it allows you to watch live. It allows you to, str- uh, to see archive. You can pod- uh, hear our podcasts. Uh, it's basic. It's, it's our online digital campus is what it is, and, and just about any information you need is going to be available on there. We have a new interactive calendar, so you can get just about any piece of information, and it's only going to grow through the years, and it's so significant that we decided this morning to, to, to set aside Bible study and and spend our time going over the app, showing you how it works, because we want you to use it. And uh, I know that some of you are, are, uh, are not into that sort of thing, but I'm going to ask you to be into that sort of thing because that's how we—that's one of the other ways that we can connect and uh, with prayer and other things. So just uh, if, you, if you'd be willing to hang out at 11 o'clock, even if you're not a member of Carpenter's Way, if this is the church you've been hanging out with, uh, we would love to have you stay. Uh, for those of you who are watching online, a couple pieces of information for you. Number one, uh, we are going to uh, stream the 11 o'clock hour and put it on in the archive so you can watch it and learn it. I do want to say this, that in the, on the app there is going to be uh, a church directory so that we can have contact with each other uh, on our phones, our smartphones, or our iPads. Uh, having said that, um, that means that we are going to um, make sure that we know the people that are actively, actually logging in. You can use the app without registering it. Um, however, there are certain things you can't do, like get into the directory. We'll talk about that, unless you're logged in. And so uh, if, you, if you are on the Internet and you asked to be registered on this, do not get offended if we ask you who you are. Um, uh, because if we get back inappropriate language, we're just not going to register and giggle. Okay, because as a st- – lighten up, everybody. That's okay. But we, we want to put people on there, but we need to know your relationship with the church because we want to make sure – that our our family business is our family business. And that doesn't mean it's just for members. That just means we want want to make sure that um, this is not to sell insurance and stuff like that. So uh, that will allow us to do that. But anyway, that's going to be at the 11 o'clock hour. Uh, That's central time. We know we have people watching on both coasts. So if you'd like to join us or watch it archived, uh, we'd love to have you. Um, I think that pretty much does it for the announcements today. Please take some time to read your worship guide. Um, We're going to take our offering now. This is for those who attend here regularly. Uh, If this is not your home church, we ask that you just pass the plate as it comes by. We're going to have a great time in the Word this morning. We're going to have a great time around the Lord's table and then a great time talking about the importance of body life during the 11 o'clock hour and and, uh, unveiling this. So so plan on hanging out with us for the next couple hours, and I think you'll be glad you did. So, Father, we love you, and we thank you that we can get together this morning and serve you and worship you. We thank you for the different forms of worship that we have, Uh, praying for each other, uh, encouraging one another, hugging people we haven't seen in a week or more than that, uh, we, that's, that's worship because the family, you just, you just pleased when your kids get together, uh, father, we're going to worship you in song and we're going to get into your word and we're going your Holy spirit's going to speak to us. That's a form of worship. And, and we're going to respond to the things that you're teaching us in our hearts. That's a form of worship of being a living sacrifice. And now father, as we pass the plates, we're going to, we're going to worship you with our giving. Um, we're going to give back, uh, because you've given graciously to us and, and, uh, Lord, we thank you. Uh, for how you provide for us. And and, Lord Jesus, I pray that for the next couple hours our focus would be completely on you, that you would speak to us, that you would mature us, and that you would make us more like Jesus. Uh, We love you, Dad. Uh, We thank you again for letting us gather together. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: In Jesus' blood and righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest frame But wholly trust in Jesus' name Sing that again, my hope My hope is built This is blood. With trumpet sound Oh may I then In him be found Dressed in his right righteousness alone Faultless stand before the throne Oh Christ alone oh. Cornerstone, weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He.
3: this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ.
0: And I know what it's like to try to earn His love And I know what it's like to feel you're not enough Running from the sin that you can't hide The guilt you feel trying to sleep at night. He came and found me at my very worst, and he gave me life that I did not deserve. And I am forgiven now by his good grace because of his mercy. I'll never be the same, this love, this love unending, this grace, this grace amazing, my heart, my heart, i seem to do justice and to describe the glory that you are. I will stand before you in worship and I will show you my heart. And I lift my head I lift my voice to You. As yes, I lift my head, oh, I lift my.
3: that song. I love the truth in that song. You know, there's a lot of Christians uh, today wondering, and the kids are dismissed through third grade uh, for GPS at this time. I, uh, there's a lot of Christians running around wondering why they don't have peace and joy. And I just, I just want to tell you that the answer is found in James. We, have, we, we struggle with absolutely believing that God has it all under control. And that's why we often react the way we do, panicky and angry and frustrated because people are changing They're changing the game for us. And uh, the problem with thinking that the game is the way we think it should be played is we don't understand that God's got a plan, and that plan won't necessarily make us comfortable. And uh, if you doubt that, you need to reread the book of Jonah and you need to read um, about Stephen and Acts. You need to just read Acts. You know, Jesus Christ came to save us out of this. And then he left us here to tell folks that they can be saved out of it. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that we are the smell of death to those dying and the smell of life to those living. It's tough. And that's why there's no alternative but to be completely, absolutely surrendered to him. Man, I I tell you, that's that's it. Uh, In James chapter 4, The first three verses, uh, James writes this. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? And in last week's study together, uh, I I shared with you that that's the deal that makes him write this. This is the manifestation of where they are spiritually. And and he's just asking us questions after going over different things that are going on. He's just saying, hey, what is causing these quarrels among you? And then he answers it. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. What a convicting section of Scripture. And this was written to people that up to this point, he has said on at least eight occasions are brothers and sisters, that, that, that they are actually the children of God. This isn't written for unbelievers. This is written to believers that are struggling these things. And the very next words out of James' mouth or off of his pen are, you adulterers, in verse 4. You adulterers. Is it possible that a child of God can actually consider him or herself spiritually healthy and even a spiritual leader? towing the line of the spiritual family and actually be a spiritual adulterer? I and mean, that's a powerful question. And the answer is apparently so. Because that's what he calls the people he's writing to. And that's why this letter was written. I want to put some context for this because as we go a little bit more each week and getting through it, I, I want you to notice something. I remember as a kid being taught by, by probably my favorite all-time youth pastor, but he was a pretty rowdy guy. But I remember him saying, talking about carnal Christianity. Do you remember that word? It has nothing to do with your favorite topping of ice cream. But nobody ever explained that to me. Carnal Christianity. And he used to say that the Bible never actually talks about carnal Christianity. And I would just like to say he was wrong. Absolutely wrong. In fact, we just finished a study in recent months of a letter that's written to a church that's that's actually involved in immorality. The first, the, the first and second uh, books that Paul writes to the church of Corinth. There's actually at least four books on, and a bunch of visits. But those letters are written to a church that are actually involved in immoral things. They're debating whether you should get divorced. It's an epidemic in the church. They're suing each other. It's absolute discord. They're arguing over who's going to be the who is the spirit, the most spiritual among them. We're talking about major stuff that you and I would go, wow, that is a church in crisis. And he writes to them this letter to say, knock it off. He actually writes to them as children of God and doesn't threaten their salvation. And in the middle of it, if you remember, in, in first, uh, chapter 5 of the first letter, he actually says, we need to judge each other and clean each other up. Not the world, but the church. But James is almost the same letter, but the flip of the coin. James' letter is written to believers, just like First and 2 Corinthians, But these believers aren't involved in immorality. These, as far as we know. He doesn't address that. These believers are not involved in some of the big sins of 1 and 2 Corinthians. These believers are involved in having a wrong heart. And it's manifesting itself among them with with how they handle having no joy in life. It manifests itself among them into how they they uh, confront each other or their words, what comes out of their mouth, and not listening to the word while knowing the word. It manifests itself in very destructive ways where he gets to the point in chapter 4 that we just saw. Verses 4 to 6, look at this with me. You adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the Scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Apparently, carnal Christianity has been a problem, or half-hearted Christianity, or people who are saved but really don't care about living for him has been a problem forever. And in one sense, it manifests itself in immorality in the church of Corinth. And in another sense, it manifests itself as self-righteousness, a divided heart of loyalty between God and the world, while even thinking that you should be a spiritual leader. Do you remember that part where he writes to them and says, you guys you guys think you're spiritual leaders? Well, let me tell you, the wisdom that comes from the Lord is peace and joy and righteousness. He's slapping them saying, look in the mirror. This letter is written so that they would look in the mirror and go, wow, we're not what we thought we were. Apparently, God's kids have a timeless, ageless problem as they await the promised inheritance or heaven, as they await our precious Lord's return. And it it manifests itself in how we interact in life and culture and people around us, inside of the church and outside of the church. And what what James is saying in this letter is that if we are not 100% surrendered to God's work in the world, If we are not 100%, not 99, not 90, not not 84, but if we are not 100% invested in God's work in and around us, even if it hurts us or makes us uncomfortable, then we begin to find ways of pleasing ourselves. And for some, it's going to be sexual immorality and drinking. And some, it's going to be self-righteousness. Get out of my way. I'm too busy serving the Lord. The fact is, they're the same problem, but they manifest themselves through us in the flesh differently. For some, in Corinth, once again, it's like doing big stuff that we all go, wow, how could you do that? But for others, it manifests itself in a joyless Christian life that leads us, go to, that leads us to go off on folks because they're disappointing or disrupting our self-imposed morality. Let me be clear. We live in a time, and I'm speaking about the Southern Baptist. And I'm going to throw in the assemblies of God. We live in a time when the church is preaching some level of deistic moralism. In other words, we have to pick a target because if we don't, who will stand up for righteousness? We have to take a stand because if we don't, who will? And God's counting on us. And I want you to know, he doesn't need you. You are not his last best hope. He will use you as you make yourself available, but he has used donkeys and whales in the past, and he will again, if that's what it takes, to come to, to bring about his ends. Actually, it's worse than that. He'll use you as a rebellious prophet. That's what he did with Jonah. The fact is, God's will is not going to be thwarted based upon our faithfulness. God's plan is going to happen because it's God's plan, and he is sovereign. He's got this under control, and you can breathe deeply now and exhale Trusting that he's got this. Um, The same problem is that it's spiritual adultery. That is at the root of it. That's why in James 4.4 he calls them adulterers. The child of God who is not completely surrendered to God's work in the world around them is literally having an affair with their old girlfriend. That's what we do. We default back to what we're comfortable with. What our flesh says we need to have peace with God. The child of God that's not completely surrendered to God's work around them, even if it causes them pain, is having an affair with their old girlfriend, the flesh, while being engaged to their future groom, the righteous God. Now, it's no wonder then that the church is so miserable and angry at the world around them for acting like the world. It is unbelievable to me how thoughtless our rhetoric has become. But it it is explained in James. Uh, The Daily Beast, which is not a conservative magazine, wrote this week online an article that had something to do. The beginning said something like, We would like to write to all of our Christian friends who would like to boycott Target. We think you need to be aware of all the other companies that you should now, if you're going to be consistent, uh, you should be boycotting. Did anybody read the article? You cannot fly because all of them support all of that agenda. You cannot buy a car because they all support that agenda. You cannot go to Home Depot, you cannot go to Lowe's. In fact, most of the companies that you buy food from, and we all love processed foods, support that agenda. It went on and on and on. So I expect that any day now, we're gonna have a number of people in this community that are gonna become Amish. Except that we're inconsistent. That won't happen. You know it won't happen. Because we will only rhetoric away until it becomes inconvenient. It is amazing to me that we have been called to live in a world that is immoral and we act shocked when they act immoral. The question I've been getting this week. So you just want us to roll over? I want you to be crucified. I want to, It's worse than rolling over. As an American citizen, don't I have the right? You do. You do. But you don't have the right as a citizen of heaven to let your citizenship in America infringe on your citizenship and task of heaven. So if you can do both, I don't have a problem with it. I agree with you. I would like to go into Target. Actually, I think they should have a pastor bathroom. I would like that. Extra clean and Bible verses to read on the walls. (laughs) But the fact remains, Target has always been a liberal organization just like Starbucks. Whether they say Merry Christmas or not doesn't affect my life at all. It just makes me mad if my heart is divided. I deserve to live in a country that says Merry Christmas. No, you don't. No, you don't. They killed our Savior who really actually never blew it in loving them. What makes us think that they're going to love us? Look, if that is your bent, that's fine, but you have to check your heart. That's what this letter's about. You gotta look in the mirror and ask, why am I beyond upset? Why am I angry? Why am I, why am I telling? Just so you know, no, nah, I'm not gonna get off on that. I've already gotten off on it. Let's keep moving. But you have to ask yourself, why do I do what I do in the name of Jesus? Because apparently the people of James, the people he's writing to, not only were reacting in a selfish way, but they were claiming to be spiritual leaders in their communities. That's why he said it's a good thing to be a teacher, but not everybody should be it. The the fact is that there's not a person in this room or watching on the internet today who doesn't struggle with self-righteousness, doesn't struggle with the flesh. There are going to be things that Satan does to poke you in the chest, to move your heart into a wound that you've got that's going to want to move you to activism, whether you're on the left or the right. Your frustration with the church over a lack of compassion, maybe if you're on the left, on the right, your frustration with the church or maybe a pastor that doesn't seem to want to fight for morality. Let me be clear. I want to fight for souls. I don't want to fight for morality. And the message of the gospel is a message of grace for immoral people. If our rhetoric is so loud on either the right or the left of what we think is right, then we are not serving the Lord. We are serving our own whims, even if it's got a fish on it. And that's the thing that James is addressing. James isn't worried about the first Corinthian problem. He's worried about a deeper, more insidious problem, which is a big word for a guy like me to say. He's worried that they will think they're doing God's work when in fact they're alienating the very people they're supposed to minister to. And the reason is, is because their hearts are divided. And all of the stuff up to, in chapter 4, all of this stuff, 1 through 4, is summarized with one simple application I would argue with you with this book. From this point on, for the rest of our time in James, he's going to be speaking mostly specifics to this group of people, and I'll show you why I believe that. You guys need to stop this. You're doing this. Knock it off. But the summary statement of what he wants from us is found in the passage, and I did read it last week, but I want us to concentrate on it as we go into communion this morning. It's verses 7 and 8. So here's what I want you to do. So don't let words fly by. Everything I've said up to now, here's the point I want from you. Here's what I want. Whether it's having a joyless, joylessness in trials, whether it's telling people off, not doing what the word says, all of those things are problems and they come to this point. I don't want you to fix the individual problems. This is the problem that you and I have, have learned. We hear a problem your tongue is out of control and we're used to having a pastor tell us three steps to getting our, our tongue under control. And maybe you get your tongue under control, but the problem is then something else goes out of control. You see, I used to think, and I've been very open with you, that when I was a teenager I struggled with porn. And the reason I do, despite making you uncomfortable, is because you need to understand that the battle with the flesh is real and every one of us have it. But you know, I used to pray. I remember as a kid, I remember one particular time sitting in a whirlpool with a friend of mine who was struggling with it and we were asking God, please take this from us. If you would just help us to overcome this one sin of lust, we will, our, man, our walk with God would be great. Have you ever been there? If only I stopped and fill in the blank, I would have such a great Christian life. I gotta tell you something. Now that I'm 25 years, 30 years later, I got news for you. I didn't even realize what a battle was until I realized what a proud jerk I am. You see, the root sin of Mark Wilkie's heart was never porn. It was, it was pride. Why did I look at it? Because I deserve a break. Life stinks. Girls should like me more. And so I created a fantasy girl based upon a lying magazine. And I even risked my reputation over it because back then you couldn't get on the Internet. And it doesn't matter what your besetting sin is. Maybe it's anger over our culture or our political anger. There's a root to that, and you've got to figure it out with the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why we're angry. Well, Jesus got angry. It's a righteous angry. Jesus never got angry with the world. He wept over the world. He got angry with the leaders of the religion that sold what he gave away for free. He turned the tables over in the temple, not in the marketplace. In fact, when he was confronted by the tax, the the, the wrong tax people, hey Jesus, pay taxes. He looks at the disciples, telling. he reaches down and grabs a fish and out of the fish's mouth he takes a coin and he has this conversation over who's on the coin and he says, who is that? Well, it's Caesar. So give to Caesar what's Caesar's. And he pays his taxes and moves on. There are people in the Christian church that thinks that we should figure out ways not to pay taxes. That's not what Jesus did. He paid taxes and taught the Christians. Our answer would be, we have a government that's starting to inflict itself on us and we need to let them know. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus was so busy growing his people up, so busy growing up themselves that that even if he felt that, he moved back to the disciples to keep their focus on the holy one. He told us and them when they were panicking about having no money and nowhere to sleep, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Please notice that it's his. It's not the Jewish religion's righteousness or your righteousness, but his righteousness. And all these things will take care of themselves. We understand that, but our flesh that rages if we don't keep it constrained forgets that God's got a plan even in our death as he does in our life. I was raised raised to fight evil and look for the Lord's return. I should have been raised to die well. There are things worth dying over physically, emotionally, and loving the lost is one of them. I should be willing to give up my comforts and even my life for the lost, because that's what Jesus did. Last week, I told you that I've I've been pastoring for 30 years, and youth and adults alike, and You know, We've given out these little armbands that say, what would Jesus do, WWJD? And now I'm asking, what did Jesus do? Maybe instead of trying to figure out what he would do in 2016 with with a government out of control and businesses out of control and immorality, and I agree with all of that, maybe we should simply say, how did Jesus handle an immoral and, by the way, incredibly homosexual community? Have you studied the, the Roman baths and the history of that? Men and women, immorality and, and, and debauchery and depravity is not new. That's why in the Old Testament, in the laws of Israel, he actually had laws for intimate relationships between Jews and their animals. Why? Because people were doing it. You're staring at me and it's making me uncomfortable. We, we've got to lighten up and realize that it was worse in the days of Noah. And we got to get our minds around this. And what we do is, we, instead of freaking out and panicking, we look up into heaven. And, here we go, Kip. Verse 7. Humble ourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil. And he'll flee. What does it mean to resist the devil, Pastor? It doesn't mean buy a book on spiritual warfare. That's not resisting. It doesn't mean you figure out what he's doing so you can counter it. That's not resisting. It doesn't mean you learn how to pray the blood of Jesus over him. That's not resisting. It means you walk on. You realize that what you're feeling may be in your flesh, and it may even be right, but it's not godly. And you turn off Fox News for a few hours until you can breathe again. You go over to Car- Target, but this time not to buy something, but you go over to Target and you look for people, maybe a staff person that needs encouragement because they're making eight bucks a fa- an hour just trying to raise their family. And they're stuck with the decision. Do I keep working here or do I find another job? Well, they should find another job. It's really easy for you to say if you're not working there. How about praying for the CEO of Target. How about writing a note to him to tell him you know he's got a difficult life and a difficult job and he's balancing out every interest group in the world and you're praying that he is wise or she, have no idea who it is? Well, we're Americans and we have the right to speak up. You do, but you don't have the right to step away from your mandate. And that is telling people that their sins are no longer being counted against them. Well, what does God want me to do? Humble yourselves before him. Well, I'm humbled before him. Not if you're worried about the country. Humbling yourself before the Lord means whatever you want. Okay, Dad, this is going to hurt. And I know that a lot of us, you're you're not afraid for you. You can handle it. You're afraid for your children. Because we all know that God forgot who he was sowing together in your womb before they were born, at what time they were going to be born. Because God's sovereignty ended in 2016. The fact is that your children were destined for a time such as this in all of history by a God who knows their name before they were even conceived. He knows who they are. So stop raising prom queens and raise women of God. Stop raising little gunfighters and raise warriors for the kingdom. Look your kids in the eye and say, it's going to get crazy in your lifetime. Glad I won't be here. Pray with them. We're acting like we are the last best hope of humanity. We're not. We don't even offer hope. Jesus Christ does. And our children will. Raise up the next generation of men and women of God. Humble yourselves before God and go, I guess you do love my kids more than me. Do you know what you're doing? My kids He knows your children, and the moment they accept Christ, they didn't become Baptists or little evangelicals. They became the children of God, inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And our job is to pass on that godliness and that focus for the next generation. That's our calling. But to do that, we've got to believe it. We've got to humble ourselves before God. We've got to resist the devil's temptations to act. And he will flee Come close to God. And God will come close to you. Think about that. I don't feel close to God. Well, maybe it's because you're not humble before him. Yeah, but I'm walking with him. He doesn't want you to walk with him in your own power. He never asked you to do that. He asked you to humble yourself. And he'll inhabit you and fill you and give you joy even in the difficulty. Resist the devil and and come close to God. Instead of picketing Pray. Oh, well, you're one of those. I really am now. I did the picketing, not yesterday, 18 years ago, 20 years ago. It didn't work. I've acted for presidential campaigns on the right. It didn't work. We are still an abortion-running country. Gay marriage was just became the law of the land. And last time I checked, there was a lot of Republicans I voted for in there, and it didn't change anything. We're $19 trillion in debt. We need to get back to our Judeo-Christian values. we got a problem. The people in Washington, some love Jesus, but there's no such thing as a Christian country. There are children of God who live in a Christian country. And there are churches that have godly men and women within them. But there are no godly churches. That's an organization. There is the godly church that lives within these organizations, men and women who are more passionate for God's will than their own, who are willing to lay it on the line even if it hurts them. That's what he's saying. Humble yourselves. Wash your hands, you sinners. Think about that. That's the next line. Kip, you can go ahead and throw these verses up there and just leave them. Verse 8. Just leave him up there. Look at what he said, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. I want you to think in terms of what we're talking about. That's what Paul said to Corinth when they're out there with the dude is sleeping with his stepmother. And the church is going, I'll tell you what, that's what grace looks like. Hey, Larry, why don't you come up here and tell us about how you and your mother are dating now? Good job. I, I don't know why I used the name Larry. There's Just sorry. Gosh, Larry, I've got to come up with a new name. I'm going to stop. Frankincense. These people are suing each other. And and you and I would go, I am not going to that church. I'll tell you, the church I don't want to go to is Corinth. Well, this isn't to Corinth. This is to the believers throughout the world that he's writing to. And he is, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts. Why? Because your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Do you not see that? When we fight with more energy for the world and our country, more passion. Then we do for the kingdom of God, then we have a heart problem as children. Do you know in the New Testament when you were adopted in New Testament times, and it's probably the same today, but in the New Testament times, it was a legal process. Adoption was part of the system because the family, you had lots of children to keep on the family business. You understand that each family kind of had their own thing going on and, and men needed more men in order to take care of the fields or do what it is they did. So if a man did not have a male son, he would adopt a son from another family, maybe a poor family, and they would come into his family, and he would then hand down the business to take care of his wife when he was gone, and he would hand down the business to this young man. That makes logical sense, right? Well, if you understand it, one of the things that happened legally is when you were adopted into a family and you accepted the invitation to be adopted, it's just like salvation, you were then relinquishing all rights to your previous life. You could not go back 15 years later when your father's dead and you're broke because you're a bad leader. You could not go back then and sue your birth parents for them because it is as if you were never even born to them. That's how it is with adoption into the kingdom. That's why it's called adultery. What are you doing? Are you kidding me? If you want to just be an American citizen, then, then make that your religion. That's what Thomas Jefferson did, that's what Ben Franklin did. Make it your religion but you can't marry the world and God. That's what he says. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty. What are we purifying our hearts from? Not adultery, not immorality, not having bathrooms that are transgender at Target, but because our loyalty is divided between God and the world. Does that not make sense to you? This is logical. This makes sense. And I read this and I go, oh man, most of my Christian life, I'm 50 years old and I'm still divided. I deserve a church that gives better. Thank you, Kip, for laughing. I deserve people who are better looking, God. You know, I'm a pretty good looking pastor. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's funny what we demand. My poor wife, every morning she we, we see coffee and breakfast, she has to look at me and go, oh, I deserve better than that. It's just life. Everything disappoints if we're living to feed our flesh. I deserve a preacher who doesn't use the words you do. I agree, you do, but I'm all you got right now, and you can't get rid of me. We can go around being mad and pouting. I deserve, I deserve to shop in a place that says Merry Christmas. What? Think about that. Just look, even if you don't agree with me, think about what kind of heart that comes from. What we deserve, my friends, is hell. What we have been given is hope and forgiveness and mercy and grace and eternal life. And when the two of those are married with anger, something's wrong because anger is not a fruit of the Spirit. If you want to turn tables over like Jesus, it should be turned over in the church. That's what Jesus did. The same Jesus that just a few hours later sits over Jerusalem Knowing he's going to be arrested and weeps that they've rejected him. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you would have known who I was, you would have come to me and I would have gathered you. I would have wrapped my arms around you. He wasn't mad at the lost, he wept with them and for them. That's what Jesus did. He didn't even stand up in the court of the Gentiles when he was being accused and say, Y'all are wrong. You're about to kill the king of kings. Hey, boy, is this going to be an epic error. For the next 2,000 years, people are going to read in the Bible what you're doing. (laughs) I'm going to get even. He kept quiet. And when Pilate said, aren't you not going to, are you even going to defend yourself? He said, no. Because everything you have in front of you was given to you by my father. Actually, I think he says that the father is guilty of his death. I know there's a lot of debate. Remember when he says, those who have turned me over? I'm not sure. He's not talking about the Father. My Father's killing me today, not you. You're doing what you've asked. What if we're supposed to die? Well, I didn't sign up for that. Somebody said God would fix my marriage. Truth is, you joined a war. And since your father can't be touched by the evil one, he's going after his kids. And he's going to throw everything at us. And if he can't get us in immorality, which most Christians probably aren't going to jump into, and he's not going to get us in the big, huge, sins, you know what I'm talking about. He's going to then get a better plan that involves taking the religion of Christianity and helping us obsess over that more than Jesus Christ. That's called adultery. I know I've got you upside down and backwards, Kip, but I I want you to throw up there the Revelation passage for me, please. Jesus wrote this letter. Okay, here it is. I found it. I had to find it in my notes. Jesus wrote this letter to the church of Ephesus. This is about 50 years after Paul writes his letter about 30 years after John's done pastoring this church, Jesus himself pins a letter through the apostle John to the flock that he is no longer pastoring. He says, John, I want you to write this letter and I want you to give it to the pastor or the messenger. It's translated, unfortunately, to the angel, but it's actually the messenger of the church. So Jesus pins a letter through John who sends it to the pastor of the church who reads it to the flock, and this is what he says to them. I know all the things you're doing or you do, I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I even know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not, and you have discovered their liars. You have patiently, and I want you to pause here, Kip, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. That is, a, that is an epic letter. <laughs> if Jesus Christ wrote us a letter at Carpenter's Way and it looked like that, we would all be like, we're taking next Sunday off and having the biggest meal. You can, we're going to glutton ourselves to death right here. We're gonna, Everything's going to be fried, doesn't matter what it is, dessert, salad. That's a great letter, right? Look at the next sentence, and I know most of you know it. But I have this one complaint against you. It's right in front of you. You can read it. It is possible, apparently to be really, really good at Christianity and to not be in love with Jesus Christ. Wow. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or even each other as you did at first. Wow. Look how far you've fallen. What? No adultery. No homosexuality. No open rebellion against the pastoral staff. Business meetings are great. Ministries everybody's proud of. Just one little teeny problem. You've fallen in love with the religion of Christianity, and you don't love Jesus Christ. Turn back to me and do the things, the works you did at first. Do you remember when you first got saved? Maybe you were five. And you heard that hell was a problem for people who didn't know Jesus and you accepted him into your life. And you went to school and you told all your friends about Jesus because you didn't want them to go to hell either. It wasn't complicated. Nobody was debating whether you had to be baptized to be saved and nobody was talking about tongues. Nobody, you weren't at that age worried about the immorality in the world. You simply wanted your friends to be with you when they died. Remember that? And then we grew you up. And on July 4th, every year, we married the religion and the politics. And we started telling you what it looks like to be a Christian. And in effect, we took your eyes off of Jesus and put it on you. Now, let me be clear. God wants us to make wise choices in our life. Kip, I want to have you put Hebrews 12 up there for me, please. This is a clear passage of Scripture most of us grew up on in the church. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially... The sin that so easily trips us up. I've heard pastors preach on on what that sin is. I know what that sin is. You know what? It's different for you than it is for me. It could be self-righteousness for some. It might be adultery for others. Get rid of it. Knock it off. It might be porn. It It might be gossip. It might be an angry attitude. Whatever that sin is that trips you up, get rid of it. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Here it is. We do this. Not by a three-step accountability program. But we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Who's the champion? What does that mean? He already won. Who initiate and is now perfecting our faith. You see, the whole thing about Christianity today is we keep telling you how bad you are. Is there anybody in this room not clear on how bad they are? I mean, when you you finally got over porn, did you not realize that you are a self-centered jerk? Or am I the only one? And so we are going, that's about time you admit that, preacher. Knock it off. That's not nice. The the truth is that when you get over that sin you think that controls you, you find out that there's a root that's even more controlling. The only answer is putting your eyes on Jesus. It is not a 12-step program. It might be if if you have addictions, then get help for addictions. If you're starving to death, don't wait for Jesus to send bread from heaven. We'll, We'll feed you. But beyond those things, the truth is, if you want real spiritual healing, it comes from the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as a result of Jesus Christ cleansing us from sin and the Father choosing us. This, even sanctification, even how you live in the world, it's all about Jesus. Even now it's all about Jesus. If you want to know how to get over self-righteousness, put your eyes on Jesus. If you want to know, look, look, look back, okay? And, and again, all right, Kip. Back to James 4, 7 to 10. So here's the answer. He mentions all these things we've got to do. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Verse 9, let there be tears for what you have done let there be sorrow and deep grief, let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Oh, that's happy. So he wants us as a church to, to be sad. We need a little sadness in the church, not because of what's going on out there, but because what our hearts have become. We think we're healthy. We're Ephesus, my friends. We're Ephesus. And there has to be a solemn moment where we look at ourselves and go, how did we get here? And the answer is we took our eyes off of Jesus Christ. We don't we, we, talk, we talk about prophecy and how God is going to clean up the world, but those same preachers get up the next week and tell you how wicked the world is, and we've got to stop it. I have been in meetings where people get up front and talk about the mark of the beast, and, if we, and, and then soon after that they'll say that if we don't elect the right people, it's going to come in faster. That makes no sense. He's either in control or he's not in control. And the truth is, there is not one of us in this room that doesn't want a comfortable, safe, easy life, including me. That's why James says this is practical. You've got to choose to put on faith. You've got to choose it. You've got to choose joy. No matter how many companies allow anybody to go in the bathroom, I still don't understand why anybody would want to do that, but okay. No matter how many people get married to the same gender, no matter how many of our brothers and sisters lose their heads, you can get mad or you can pray and walk on. And the problem is, it feels better to be mad. At least we're doing something, right? As if trusting God or praying and actually looking for opportunities to share Christ and hope with people is not doing something. Do you realize how far we've gotten from the simple message that God has left us with our task that Chad had read this morning? We're messengers of reconciliation, friends. We're not messengers of morality or America. That really is our message. We can do both. Then do both. But Satan is going to do everything in his power to make it more about morality than spirituality. And they're not the same. I have yet, despite what some of you believe, to say you shouldn't pick it or you shouldn't boycott. I just keep saying you have a mandate that has to be accomplished before you do what you want to do. If you can figure both out, then do it. But if what you want to do overshadows what you are called to do, then you are not walking in loyalty to the Lord. It's as simple as that. And that is a tough pill to swallow. It's a choice you make. And it's what we're going to think about when we have communion right now. Because we've been talking about this week after week. And some of you have struggled with it. And others of you have been right on how great I am as a preacher. And the problem is, is that the word of God is consistent. Uh, I remember, I was telling Pete about this last week. I remember when I was here about seven months. And uh, a guy named Pete Smart wanted to have a meeting with me. And uh, I, had, uh, I, I asked the staff who this guy was. I kind of knew him. And they said, he's well-respected. and He's a great guy. It's going to be a great meeting. And he sat down. And I remember him sitting and saying, you know, Mark, I just want to be clear. I don't necessarily like what you're preaching. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Thank you, Pete. We should have coffee often. And I remember my stomach sinking. And he said, but it is the word of God. So I'm going to ask you not to stop preaching it, but to simply go slow and don't give up. Let, let me tell you something so that you understand it. I didn't like last week's message any more than you do. I would rather every week was a birthday party with cake and ice cream and we could go home and party. I wish that we could change this country and figure out who God's man is with a glow over his head and everything would be great. Or woman, sorry. I wish that would like that. I wish that Jesus would come down in a great chariot, pick me up and take me home so I wouldn't have to go through the death's door. I wish that you all had a billion dollars so you could give a million every week to the church. Because we as a staff would eat lunch out every day. I wish all that were true. I wish lots of things. And then there's reality. The reality is Jesus said, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to pick up a cross. It's going to be tough. You're going to have to follow me. I don't want to do that. Okay. It's okay. You too can be Joseph of Arimathea. What? What about him? He's a secret disciple. You think he felt bad that the only thing he could do publicly was bury Jesus' body? We never talk about Joseph. We're going to talk about him more in the coming weeks. That's his epitaph. Secret disciple of Jesus. If we decided to rename our church, I assure you, it wouldn't be Laodicea or Corinth. But the truth is, they're no different than us. We're just as selfish and just as broken. And the Lord's been working on you because I've heard from a lot of you the last few weeks about stuff. Little areas of your life that have proven to you that your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Chad, why don't you come join me? You know, God gave us communion. I'm going to ask my elders to come up at this time, please. And I do mean they're my elders. They're old, old men. <laughs> Why did you laugh? Did, did you not notice? Oh, I've turned 50 this year. I'm one of them now. Yeah, just wait. You'll, I can't go to TNT for self-centered reasons. Jesus looked at the disciples, and they're, they're, all, they're all in the upper room going, I'm going to be the grace of the kingdom, man. You know, Jesus is about to set it up. I have told you so many times I'm going to die. They're arguing. He he gives up on even trying to convince them. And he takes this bread at the Passover meal and he looks at him and he says, see that bread? We see the bread, Jesus. We see the bread. This is my body. And then James hits John and Peter slaps Bartholomew and he kicks Judas under the table because no matter how many times Jesus says that he had to die for us, Their thought was he's going to live because that's what they wanted. You see, they didn't reject Jesus' plan because they didn't know it. They rejected it because it didn't fit their agenda. You know exactly who Jesus was. He was mocked as a friend of sinners. If we were like Jesus, we would spend a lot more time at Starbucks than Target looking for the transgenders who want to find a bathroom. And we would invite them to lunch. And people from other churches would look at you and say, what are you doing? And you would say, I'm being like Jesus. And they would say, Jesus, turn the tables over in the temple. And we would say, then turn tables over. I'm going to go hang out with really, really sinful people like me. This is my body. It's broken. And if he broke his body for us and we're to be like him, maybe we should be willing to be broken for him too. So believe it or not, I'm going to be quiet for a few minutes and Chad is going to play. And I'm going to give you brothers and sisters a chance to talk to your father. It's time. Or just keep living how you are. That is your choice. It really is. You you can be Joseph of Arimathea. You, You can do that. You can live as a secret disciple, angry and still going to heaven, but joyless. I'm just tired of that. I really am. I'm really, really fed up. I'm tired of Christian posts that talk about loving the world but actually slap them and poke them in the eye. I'm tired of that. And God has convicted me of it because I'm guilty of it too. Guilty, guilty, guilty. But he says, I love you, Mark. We got work yet to do. The way you eat, you've got four more years on this planet. So let's get busy. So as they pass out the bread, I want you to pray. I want you to talk to your dad. I want you to listen to him. And I want you to confess what what your loyalty has been. And if you choose not to, don't pretend this morning. For once in your life, just pass the plate as it goes by. If you choose not to actually allow yourself to be like Jesus, don't play the game anymore. It's not doing you any favors. Yes, you're still going to heaven, but why live joyless in the name of Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. Stop playing. It's time. Gentlemen, old men, elders, let's, let's encourage them to be broken like Jesus. Go ahead. Please talk to the Lord. I, I do, did say I was going to be quiet, but I got to talk to those who don't know Jesus because I want you to understand what this is about. It's simple. If you know you're a sinner and you know that you're going to die in your sins and you know you need help from that problem or you're going to be in trouble in eternity, the Bible calls that condemnation. The Bible says, call on me and I will forgive you. If you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Accept that gift today. Please, please. For those of you sitting home who have given up on the church, we we know why. We get it. But we beg of you, don't give up on Jesus. He is the only one that can save you. And He wants to. Please. What do I do? Call on His name, tell Him the truth. I'm a sinner. You're the forgiver of sin. You died. Accept me. I accept that gift of forgiveness. And you will forever be changed. You will have joined the the war that we're talking about. The war to stop living for yourself and to start living for him. don't even know how to pray tell them that I don't know where to start Problems as a pastor in this culture is that um, we like to preach at you and not tell you that we're just as guilty and I want to be clear that I struggle as much as you. Some of you commented last week that I seemed a little angry. It's because I can't believe I have to preach this stuff in my lifetime. I remember when I went to Moody and uh, we were studying about the end times and I remember thinking of all the things I grew up with under Tim LaHaye and wondering what it would be like to pastor in that era. I don't know if the Lord's going to return in our lifetime. Nobody does, but I, I will tell you this. I think it's going to get even more evil in our lifetime, and maybe maybe we're really going to find out what persecution is. And I'm fully aware that that means I go first. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I have an associate pastor named Jeff. We sacrifice him for the kingdom first. No, we don't. No, we don't. All this is meaningless if I'm not first, isn't it? That's part of the problem of the church. We keep telling you what to do. For those of you who are wondering why last week I was overly passionate, it's because I'm struggling. I want to burn the place down too. But how many places am I going to burn? How many people am I going to alienate? When will I wake up and realize that I'm here to offer hope for them too? But to do that, that means I'm going to have to be their friend. It means that I'm going to have to lead. And I'm going to have to be willing to be uncomfortable because it's cheap for me to tell you to trust him and for me not to trust him. Father, I thank you for grace and mercy, and I need it. And you are asking us as a family to live in this this world and this culture as it is, and that's not easy. And the truth is, most of the time, I don't really care what you want me to do. I just want what I want. And that's wrong. And I confess that before this flock this morning, that I am a very selfish man who has divided loyalty between what I want and what you have offered me. And I thank you that even when I break my promise to you, you never break your promise to me. And I thank you that on that cross, you paid for the sin of selfishness too, and I am forgiven before you but it has robbed me of great joy and great task fulfilling. And so I stand before this church that you've asked me to preach the word to and I say that I'm first. I'm I'm the biggest hypocrite and I'm sorry and I, I, I truly want to be everything you created me to be. And so I simply ask this morning that you make me what you've created me to be. Even if it hurts. We do love you, Lord. Thank you for dying for us, knowing that we would struggle with our loyalty. Thank you for having your body broken for us. Now may we offer ours back to you. In Jesus' name, amen. This do in remembrance of what he did for us. what's he saying to you this morning what's he showing you what do you see in the mirror the grape juice and that's what it is represents the blood of Christ that already cleansed you from your sin what's your affair this morning what's committing spiritual adultery with? What is God showing you? Not what he's showing your wife or the person in front of you, but you. What's he saying to you? Talk to him. He won't be quiet. You might as well deal with it. Tell him no. At least there's a starting point. Tell him he's asking too much. Or tell him Okay. Don't let Satan lie to you. Your sin has been forgiven, no matter how grievous. Don't let your sin keep you from him. It's already been removed. Deal with him. Thank God for grace, huh? Thank God for mercy for people like us. (laughs) How cool is that? As you prayed this morning, the Lord said, I've already got it covered. It's okay, kid. Remember when you did that to your child? And they realized they had messed up? You said, It's okay. Let's just not fall back there again. Thank you for grace, Dad. Thank you for mercy. We accept your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right then, now we can have fun again. Once the sorrow is over, weeping remains for night, but joy comes in the morning, right? It's going to be a good day. There's NASCAR, good weather, soiled lawns from all that rain. But one thing first, we are in about five minutes. We're going to ask the adults to stay in. And the students in down are going to go to their programming. And uh, we'd really, 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 in a big way, ask you to stay because we want to build some body life here to, with through technology. So just take a stretch, stand up, stretch out. If you need to use the restroom or whatever, there'll be a huge line. And five minutes, we'll start over, OK?